Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 385 on Tuesday, the 9th of March, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where I just couldn't let Alan congratulate Toyota on winning UK Car of the Year, as my liver just wouldn't cope, we'll be covering this week's well-blow-me-down-with-a-feather item regarding Volvo showrooms. We find out how shocked drivers will be on the M6, and we take a fresh look at a derided bug. But first, we have some follow-up, and I have to start with an apology. Last week, I talked about Egberth Road being on the end of the M62. And as an, a, a, a listener with, I was going to say eagle ears, but that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's quite, knowing who it was, that's actually quite a mental image, but yes. <laughs> but a, a listener who was listening has reminded me and pointed out to me how I got that wrong. I was actually talking about Edge Lane leading into Queen's Drive, whereas Egbeth Road goes from Speak through to Egbeth. So I am very sorry, everyone, that I couldn't remember my Liverpool roads because I've been an idiot. I can't believe we've wasted 20 seconds of people's time on that explanation. But never mind. Shall we move on to the least surprising news since the Toyota GR Yaris was made uh, was made UK car of the year. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is that Volvo dealers in the US are responding negatively to a to the digital retail strategy. Funnily enough, Volvo dealers don't like the idea that Volvo is going to sell EVs directly. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. I'm shocked. Shocked. I tell you. Well, I love I love the quote here from the Volvo Retail Advisory Board Chairman Ernie Norcross who said if we don't control the buying experience, how are we anything but a delivery and service centre? Well, you're not, are you? That is all you are. The whole thing is that the part of the buying experience that people like least, in fact, they can't stand it, tends to be the dealing with salesman part. Mm. So, quite frankly, it doesn't surprise me. And if I ran a car company, I'm sorry, dealers, I would be trying to do the same Yep. I would want a consistent experience everywhere and I would want to be trying to minimize the contact you know, with the parts that, that customers don't like. I think that's why... It, it's all part of customer journey modeling, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, in the last year, people have found that as one of the major positives of not being able to go into showrooms is the fact that it is it is very limited, the, the amount of times you discuss anything with a, a salesperson. And there isn't the time for them to leave brochures open and wander off and buy a coffee and all the other wonderful ideas they've been given in sales training and all this sort of stuff. It is very much this is because a lot of the time people are well informed when they come online as well because they've done their research and they go, this is what I want. This is what I can afford. How can we make this happen? Yeah. And, and I think in, in the US it's, it's much worse than, than here in the UK Absolutely. and the rest of Europe as yeah. well. According to my research of reading Jalopnik stories, so let's, you know, let's... Let's, <laughs> let's move on from that generalisation, shall we, and, and go to the uh, the new news. Well, speaking of buying, or at least registering new cars in the UK, about five people have been doing that in February, as registrations are down 35.5% year on year. 
Uh, remember last year, of course, in the month of February, then all the dealers were open and happy and and doing business in the way that dealers do business. Uh, whereas this year, they are all having to do it uh, online and are closed to visitors hmm. because they're not garden centres. That's still, I mean, okay, that's still ridiculous. By the way, the garden centre thing, and and I that yeah, will not sorry, stop. That was being an easy ridiculous. one. But to own to only be down thirty five point five percent, relatively speaking, is actually pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So in total, there were fifty one thousand three hundred and twelve vehicles registered. That's twenty eight thousand two hundred eighty two down from last year, despite it being a traditionally quiet month. Of course, that in fact is a shorter month uh, as well. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? The private registration is down 37%, uh, fleet down 33%, and business down 56%. Uh, those might not add up because I skipped the decimal points. So, yeah, not not so great. Uh, just over 79,500 vehicles last year. As far as the cut by fuel goes, then petrol uh, vehicles down at forty four point five percent, making up fifty two percent of the of the market. Diesel down sixty one percent, making up a mere thirteen point two percent of the market. If you don't claim diesel mild hybrids, uh, which were up fifty percent because there didn't used to be any of them, and they make up fifteen percent. And your bevs, fevs, and hevs just under 10,000, so 9,854 in total. It's up 13%, making up 20% of the, or 19.2% of the market. If you're looking at battery electric vehicles alone, then they make up 6.9% of the market with 3,500 registered. Mm -hmm. Top 10? Yes. Top 10 really low numbers this month and with a heavy bias towards Fords. So the Focus 945 in at 10, the Cougar 960 at 9. Volkswagen then come in with the Tiguan at uh, 1011 and the Turok at 1031. Kia Nero at uh, 1215 in at 6. And at number 5 is the Volvo XC40 with 1251. Still doing well for them. Still doing incredibly well, and we'll see that whenever we come to the manufacturer numbers mm. uh, shortly yep. uh, in the two minutes we spend doing those. Fourth is the A class at 1,298. Third is the Kashkai at only a few more. Second is the Corsa 1,408, which leaves the Ford Fiesta at the top of the tree as one would expect i was going to say per usual but the but year to date the course still out registers it with 1645 of them registered yeah it's been a couple of months of Vauxhall, uh of ford and the fiesta being off the top spot so uh yeah i'd be delighted it it's back up there a large proportion what's that going to be that's going to be uh not the fiesta not the course not the a class and not the focus so that's 60% of the top 10 are SUVs. Mm. Surprise the Puma as well. That normally is there, thereabouts. It is. It is. I think we're going to see Focus and Fiesta come down because the Cougar and the Puma have really been, really feels like they've been stealing sales from both of those. Yeah. By the, so the Puma's taking from Fiesta and Focus and the Cougar is taking from Focus and what used to be obviously Monday. Yeah, agreed. 
Agreed. Should we do the uh, spreadsheet of doom? Super quick. I've got a cracking way to 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 go through this. Uh, uh, basically, unless you are Cupra and Polestar, you had uh, a grim negative month. Yes. That even includes other imports because no mm. ship came in. <laughs> <laughs> the negative is in varying degrees of ooh to to grim. Shall we congratulate the, the top few there, though? So Volvo for only being down 0.78%. Yes. And registering within a hair of last year's 24 cars of last year's number so well done volvo for being able to do that yep. mg oh yeah it was mg 5.89 percent down yep and kia 5.93 percent down uh so well done to those three i think yep that's it everyone else was negative right the way down to goodness me honda down 73 percent have you seen their market share look at their market share from last year to this year oh yeah it was halved yeah. yeah. So it's 2.8% at this point last year, and it's 1.3% this year. Grim, grim times. Grim times. Grim times. Honda Honda really seem to have lost it at the minute. They need some kind of something amazing to happen. They do. They do. Uh, but hmm. it's not completely doom and gloom when it comes to new vehicle registrations, though, is it, Alan? No, it isn't, because, like commercial vehicles, are up 22%. And in actual fact, the best-selling Ford of the uh, of last month, in fact, the two best-selling Fords, comfortably best registering, <laughs> comfortably by a significant margin, uh, were the Ford Transit Full Scale and the Ford Transit Custom, so the slightly smaller one, and the the full size Transit two thousand six hundred ninety nine registered Transit Custom one thousand nine hundred seventy nine. Uh, Transit Connects up there to its eighth at 612, so significantly fewer yep. uh, of those. So it's mostly, by the way, in the two and a half to three and a half ton van is where most of that growth is. Overall, all the vans up 22%. Yeah. Um, and pickups up as well, 27% up on, on last February as well. But pickups have been quiet for a while, so I think people are just... Getting their fleets in order, partly that, and also before everybody before everybody starts pulling their pickups from the market, really. Yes. It's getting in the last of your Navaras and the last of your L200s. Quite. Because after this, it's going to be uh, your, your, your Hilux or Ranger or... Amarok? No, it's going as well. Is that well, going as well? I believe. Uh, possibly Sanyong. Mm. There's one I've missed. I'm sure there's one I've missed just there, but I can't think which yeah, one I is. I can't remember. Uh, the Isuzu. They're about to bring out a new of one. Of course, yes, the D Max. D Max. I saw now. I saw one of the new D Maxes on Sunday. Oh yeah, and I'm not sure they've been launched yet. No, because I got an invite. But it was. Did you? Yes, I can't make it, but I got an invite for to go and see them locally. So no, but I, uh, but but I, uh, yes, I saw one of the new the new look ones. But uh, just quickly to round out the uh, registration figures from next month, we will actually get year-on-year comparable because there'll be lockdowns whereas up to now we haven't been able to do that so all the figures have looked grim horrific because they aren't great let's be you know and some of some months are even are are really really bad but they have been judged against 
when everybody was out and buying things and thought they had money and all the rest of it. So it changes from marches moving forward. Hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, and especially next month, whilst people were, were around, well, next month as in March, uh, people were around for about half the month and could do stuff. All of a sudden, without without warning, stuff was stopped. So, for yeah. example, we were about to register a, a van last year and we couldn't do it it was sitting at the dealership for months literally months and we couldn't register it although it was bought and paid for because nobody was allowed into the dealership mm. and nobody could and there was no way to, to register the things yeah so it's new so so just watch so it's almost a full month really of, of being shut down it's going to be interesting to see how far things have come on as well and how much places and the process has adapted Oh, significantly, and I think every, I think that was one of the things that came out of uh, some of the conversations from the the Not a Pubcast. Yeah, so that was one of the really interesting sets of points from there. Yeah, right. I'm going to take us on to the budget because that was announced <laughs> last year. Again, talking Week. of things that are not going to take very long, the Chancellor has decided to not put up the fuel duty rate as was expected because essentially might get shouted at by a lot of the country. <laughs> Possibly the same. Well, that's 11 years the fuel duty has been, been frozen. Fuel duty percentage, I mean, as obviously the amount that they've got from that has gone up and down as oil prices have risen and dropped. But yeah, I think that, that with uh, along with if they'd touched cigarettes and alcohol, then there would have been, we would have gone French on them, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, they probably would have. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I think they'll see that there is an increase in their income through the fuel duty because more people are driving cars rather than using public transport. There's exactly. a lot to be said. Um, we'll come on to another article about people probably not going to be going back to public transport, certainly not to the levels that we were at pre-pandemic. Hmm. So that's either going to be through own cars, which seems to be the main way of doing it at the moment, or active travel, but uh, we'll, we'll cover that. Yeah. Other than that, there's talking about other investment will be announced further down the line. They had just announced that there's putting extra into the EV charging infrastructure and there's talk about uh, creating a hydrogen hub in Hollyhead, Wales. I'm not convinced by that one because the traffic through Hollyhead has taken a nosedive through Mm. Irish ferries now skirting... Because there's no other than that, there's no. No, no, reason. no. This is a this is a hydrogen creation plant, not a not a stopping to fill up job. Oh right, okay. Sorry, apologies for that. No, no. This is this so, is oh, right, this, is, use, this is actually uh, possibly use uh, wave generated electricity and stuff like that. Exactly. Ah, okay. That would be a perfect place to That's do it. That's the then. one. Cracking tide Desk, down there. Lots of wind. Yeah. Wave everything. So yeah. So it's it's creating, it's it's cracking hydrogen essentially. Ah, okay. Uh, with, that, that makes a lot more sense then. I, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. So that's it for the budget. <laughs> there was really not much in the budget. I think there were other things uh, to focus on. Yep. Take us into our what seems to be weekly segment, Alan. Yes, the brand makes EVs uh, this week featuring Aston Martin. So they'll be making electric sports cars at Gaydon. There you go. They're going to be making their electric sports cars at, at Gaiden, they, they they say. And they're saying that electrification will not be a problem for the company because they uh, will buy in technology from Mercedes-Benz. Added added to that, 
they have relatively small numbers they're talking about, and the prices are so yeah. high that if you put in the rules of origin tariffs, it makes that no difference. No, so no. It, it's very easy for a company like this to actually swallow uh, the, the rules of origin issues that other larger um, scale manufacturers would and, and lower priced vehicles would struggle. Absolutely, absolutely. The There was something else I was going to say about Esmond. Oh, yes. <laughs> Someone pointed out that this is their best uh, marketing move since 1964, and I said it was their only marketing move since 1964. They are now the official Formula One pace car. Oh, I saw something about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So instead of the Mercedes SL, which nobody's buying, the, and is probably just going to disappear quietly, then it's going to be the Aston Martin instead. Hmm. I think it probably helps that, that the outgoing people who provided the pace car are, your, are a significant shareholder in your in the the incoming one, and it uses essentially the same engine and transmission and stuff. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but I, yeah. I would have thought racing your own vehicle in races rather than stepping back from WEC would have been better. Yeah, but, but they're doing entering Formula One, though, you see. That's no, I know thing. that. I know that. But, oh, well. Good luck to them. Anyway, I yes. absolutely want Aston Martin to do well. Always. Yep. Talking of niche niche manufacturers, though, and it is the news that Porsche has increased its stake in Rimac up from 15.5% uh, to 24% with an extra £60 million investment. Now, uh, you mentioned this, was this last year or the year before? I think it was the year before. Hmm. Uh, they um, could have, yeah, I think it was 2019, I think. It was. It was. I was going to say it was just last year, but I've completely lost. I couldn't barely yeah. tell you what day of the week it is at the moment. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but part of the deal, what what has always been expected as part of the investment from Porsche is that they get access to the technology that Rimac has developed and is continuing to develop, which obviously helps Porsche with their electric vehicles. Um, you know, the I, I've seen we've got about three or four Takens near us. Now and I think they look great. And looking at the the way Rimac has done their car, uh, I think they have shown that you know electric vehicles can be supercars. Hmm. Have you spec yourself a Taycan uh, Sport Turismo yet? No, I can't, I have to keep walking away. Because <laughs> are you the only person in the entire anything to do with vehicles or motoring in the entire country that hasn't spec'd yourself a Taycan Sport Turismo yet? I I think I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for a couple of months and then just just <laughs> say just do it on the QT. I've taken all this time. What <laughs> my choices? I couldn't decide whether I wanted the leather wrapped vents or not. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Kept me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a major issue some of us have. Yeah. But tell us some good news about travelling on the uh, M6. <laughs> there is no good news about travelling on the M6. It remains the M6. But if you're an EV driver, it might be slightly less horrible, especially if you're at the southern end of the M6, because Instavolt, uh, the EV charging company, has set up an eight-bay hub at the Welcome Break service area at Corley, which is in the middle. So it's just south of between Coventry, uh, uh, between Coventry, between Rugby and uh, Birmingham, mm -hmm. uh, at the bottom of the M6. It has opened, so that bay is on the northbound carriageway, 
And they'll be soon opening uh, another seven on the southbound carriageway at Corley. Corley, by the way, is perfectly decent service yep. station. It's, it's it's actually a pretty good one. But yes, that's the the latest in a round of uh, of of investment. Curious one, of course, because that's at a motorway service sta- center. Yes, station thing. Uh, to know how they've got round the round the the electric pathway. Yes. Uh, how they've got around that, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it could possibly just be that, that to be honest, um, the electric highway has given up. Feels like it. <laughs> it does. Sure. It's more and more, more and more. Although they, they were showing pictures of new chargers recently, a new charger model, for the first time in what feels like about a decade, but it's probably only about four or five years. Mm. No, but that's good. That's good. Some Something reliable on the motorways, which is what's missing unless you own a particular branded vehicle <laughs> yes absolutely and that is that's a big big issue uh we'll, we'll talk we'll probably mention that a little bit more a bit later on but obviously there's other charging hubs being set up around the place so there's the electric forecourt uh, in essex run by grid serve and the evo energy is building its first charging hub in york as well and that goes along with stuff like the bp pulse and all these ones at milton Keynes at the bus station I know uh, the coach coach station. Pardon me, uh, just off the the M1 as well. So, right, I'm going to talk about cough medicine. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about Stellantis and how they have been trying to work out how to keep Ellesmere Port and the Vauxhall plant there open. And they've they've just came out last week and just said, if you want this to stay open. It needs to be changed to an EV factory, obviously. And if you want that to happen, mm-hmm. the government has to help by in yeah. by that a lot of money. That comes in at slightly less surprising than the, the Volvo announcement earlier on. Yes, this was going to be the blow me down with a feather story <laughs> this week. But I think it's a it's it's a very clever business move by Stellantis. They have put it all in the in the court of the government and it's down to them now. And the thing is that if I were Stellantis, I would probably have done the same thing. Yes, absolutely, I would. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think, and and I think it's the only reasonable step forward, because just as a general car factory, it's not working for Ellesmere Port. It hasn't been working for Ellesmere Port for some considerable period of time, I think. Uh, So either there needs to be a significant change and a big investment, or there's just no point in it being there. No. Um, Which is a horrible thing, because there's still more than a 1,000 people employed there. Yep. Well, we know that Stellantis are not afraid of broaching hard decisions because they've turned around and said Italian factories are way more expensive to keep open than other ones in Europe. French ones. Yes. French factories. So uh, they they know, and that you know, obviously this is FCA is part of Stellantis now, so they know there's going to be hard conversations held all over the place, but they look like they are prepared to just go... We can't afford. We cannot. We cannot do any charity in this business, and they're very ruthless no, uh, that way. I, I mm-hmm. yes, of course. They, I, I would, I would imagine they will take a deep breath before saying that about any French factories. Honestly, bet you, if they had one place left in the whole world, it would still be France, even if it wasn't the most, even if it wasn't the most cost-effective. Mm-hmm. Money's on it. Okay. Uh, but just related to Ellesmere Port, it has actually paused uh, production 
at the moment. The the company says it's nothing to do with the give us money or we shut down thingy. Uh, and, and it's purely down to the fact that uh, the demand for vehicles made there has just fallen through the floor. So we can only hope that people can buy cars again soon or want to, mm. uh, and that can ramp up again. Astro Estate, that's what you want, everyone. It's to do with the business and fleet mm. orders dropping as well. Yep. Do you want to tell us about uh, import from Czechoslovakia? Uh, well, I'm not really sure he's, he's travelled that far, but uh, <laughs> the Skoda sales and marketing uh, boss, Alain Favy, is moving from Skoda to Bentley later this year to replace Chris Kraft. Uh, the reason this is notable is that this is the chap who was responsible for launching the Enyaq IV, which is, of course, Skoda's first bespoke electric production vehicle. Bentley is going to have to come out with an electric production vehicle, so it looks like they're taking the person who's just made a real success of it uh, with another high-profile launch, and they're putting him in charge of of that. He has been with Volkswagen Group since 2009, has been at Volkswagen, Porsche, and Skoda mm-hmm. as well. But he'll start he'll start at Bentley in June, so it's not an immediate one. No. Good luck. I think possibly uh, an electric Bentley is possibly easier than an electric Skoda. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Right, I think that's the end of the first part. Yep, which makes it Guilt Minute, everyone. Hey, The quick break in show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, they can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. Uh, if you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you so very much, uh, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Mm. Everybody's rebranding everything at the minute. There's two bits that I had to change tonight. <laughs> Yes. We'll see how many people notice. Yarp. That's, that's the quiz for the week. <laughs> yes, that's that's your homework, everyone. I oh, know we've got some cracking homework coming up for you shortly. Yes. Right. There is no motorsport at the moment. There's no Formula E or WRC. So what we've got is just a couple more articles that are related to news items that we've had out. And the first one is going to be mobility. And that is... <laughs> Talking about e-scooters. And as you know, at the minute, there are the e-scooter trials going on in various parts of the country. And uh, a new report from the Department of Transport has uh, said that they want e-scooters to be made more widely available and affordable. Well, I don't think they can do too much on the second part, but I think they can on the first part by allowing them to be used in more places. We've got them. We've got them now in Corby. Yeah, uh, are people using your speed ramps? You know, like the old skater parks. Are they? Using- <laughs> no, they're just using the pavements. Ah, okay, that's helpful. Well, I got one on. T- uh, so I tried one on Sunday, mm-hmm. and I was I was captain legal here, and I used it on the road. You 
become quite good quite quickly at avoiding some of the massive rifts that there are in in the roads around here Mm -hmm. so i can kind of see why they're on the pavement to be honest although as someone who walks quite a lot then it's it's also rather dull yeah Um, but at least you can hear them coming unlike bikes and there's one thing that's that's curious is is actually there's a lot of ways i've discovered there's lots and lots of ways these ones avoid by the way so they, they seem to be across northamptonshire so here kettering in northampton and there's lots of ways to not have to pay for them which is quite good okay well there's lots of ways of getting it down so they've got so remember when i was in milton Keynes, then uh what's it called it's not orange it's one of the one of the sillier named one ginger there we go i get there eventually it takes me a while uh ginger remember i said oh there's only six parking spaces and you can't stop anywhere else yeah at the time they've got far more now by the way they've changed that so what they've done here is it's a pound unlocking fee at the start and then 20p a minute okay and you go wow that gets expensive awfully quickly and then you realize when you look at the app there are many good parking spaces good parking spots and to encourage you to park in those parking spots you get your pound credited back oh, so okay. you only pay for the time so it still works out it's quite expensive because you know five minutes is a quid but it takes away the sting of that start fee if you park things neatly and in the sort of parky zones what would be nice of if the parky zones were marked on the ground because mm-hmm. i think that i tried to park in the one just down the road from me and it didn't quite work which is a bit annoying and i might complain about that so there's that and then you get five as worth of credit if you go off and answer all the questions uh, and do the little scooting school online okay which is like many many questions from the the highway code and stuff just to sort of prove that you're a grown-up mm-hmm but there do seem to be quite a few around here where I'm not 100% certain that the people riding these scooters actually have their own driving license and that maybe it was originally registered to a parent. Okay. Does seem to be a small a small thing. You have to take pictures of your license and take a picture of yourself to prove it's you the first time you use it. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily being stuck to. Mm. But other than that, it seems to be working. I've not seen any trashed or thrown around the place. I've seen a few, quite a few being used. They don't seem to be being abandoned in the middle of pavements and stuff. It seems pretty, it seems to be kind of working, mm. more or less. Better than you'd expect in many cases anyway. Oh, good, good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, if you want to click through on the link, it's actually quite an interesting article talking about how, what we were discussing earlier about how they don't expect people to go back to the pre-pandemic levels uh, certainly no time soon uh, in on public transport so it's making people aware of we've discussed this many times but making people aware of the options when yeah. it comes to active tra- travel but also it, and this is one of the few times i've seen this mentioned but they talk about uh, increasing cycle lanes not just in urban but in rural areas and mm. that's that's a big thing of why they are not used and because you know they could sort of nick part of the the farmer's field for a lane or something that was that went to to the same destinations yeah i mean i remember for, so for many 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 months i was working uh in in berkshire and we had a company flat just about two miles away from from the client in theory i should have been able to cycle in and out 
to work, mm. which would have been good because it was summertime. It would have been quite nice, actually, because the showers at the, at the client's offices and stuff. But there was no way I was cycling at, at, uh, at sort of peak commuting time on these tiny, tiny narrow lanes with high, high hedgerows mm. and practically no visibility. So, again, I actually think extra urban cycle lanes in the UK would be a great thing. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- that reminds me, um, I had to do a click and collect and uh, our, for the particular supermarket we go to is um, about seven miles away and there are massive cycle lanes next to the main road going in from this particular direction into that town and there was a number of cyclists not using the clean, well-maintained, smooth cycle lanes that didn't have obstructions in them, didn't have people racing up and down, um, and they were using this, the main this road. Is a, now, I know this they is don't a tricky one. have to. They are not... It's not like if there's a cycle lane, they must use it. But... And I and I understand it if they are not well-maintained and if there's tons of people on there and they're trying to, you know, they're, they're doing some serious cycling and all the rest of it, and they want to get on mm. and not have to get round dog walkers and people like that or park cars and stuff like that. But... This one ran for two miles, sorry, for a mile, and there's nothing on it, and it's clean, it's well-maintained, it's well-marked, and all of a sudden these people, these half a dozen people were just on the road, which backed up a ton of traffic, even though we're not supposed to be travelling, but there's an awful lot of us going for our essential essential shopping, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) And it's... Oh, I I do find that one hard to swallow when I when you see that happening. Go, there's, there's, there are certain mindsets. Yeah, it's it's both sides need to appreciate the other, and no one has a right to the road. I understand that, and I'm not one of these that says, "Well, I'm in a car, so therefore it's all for me." But equally, you need to just think about others as well. I know, I know that's a bit of yeah. anathema for this country at the moment, but we do need to think about this. Yes, exactly. You have a lunchtime listen for us. Yeah, I, having commandeered that story, um, yes, I also have a lunchtime listen. And this one was recommended by Rich Gooding. Mm-hmm. I had to listen to it not quite at lunchtime. It was more coffee time this morning. Uh, and it's it's really it's really rather good. It's a podcast from The Economist, uh, from The Economist Asks, and it's speaking to Herbert Dice, the chief executive of Volkswagen Group. It's good because it's not just for car people, says one host of the uh, just about the most for car people podcast available in the UK. So struggling to be more niche, really, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We are. Don't don't tell the manufacturers that we don't have a broad enough reach. We should have the motoring crochet cast or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't ask me. Uh, yeah, no, it was really interesting. Lots to talk about. Because it was mentioning EVs and the main interviewer was not a car person, there were lots of mentions of a well-known American EV manufacturer. But there were some really interesting points that came out of it. There were some really predictable questions too. One claim was that the charging network was saying that in the US, they reckon they now have a better charging network than Tesla traveling north south and east and west you can do it without it being a tesla these days all right which i thought was quite interesting because i i've yet to really work out how you plan 
charging in the US. But I thought that was quite an interesting claim because I thought that outside of Tesla, then it was all a bit bitty. Mm. But I don't know if they've rolled out Ionity big time out there. Yeah, maybe. As well as that. It was a bit disappointing that they're talking about when they said, what are you driving? He said, well, I'm driving an ID3 at the minute uh, because it's really important for me to get on and experience this. And the, the next question was, so have you ever run out of charge? Which is just like, oh, come on. But, but to be fair, Alan, that's what most non-car people think. I know. They worry about. And, and I know, see, what I know why, where you're coming from because it drives us absolutely nuts when you've got car people asking sort mm. of the cliches, doing the cliche stuff, and you should, you go, no, you should know better now. You should be educating the public yeah. better by now because we've been they've been around for quite a while now and they are getting much, much better, so stop doing the laziness. But for yeah. general, you know, Joe on the street, he's going, oh, it's going to run out, isn't it? He actually was saying he'd driven to Italy quite happily because he said, you know, motorways, there's a pretty good network these days. So it's not everywhere all the time. And that was an interesting point, generally about EVs, about Volkswagen, because it's trying to say, well, when you, when's Volkswagen going to make its last ever internal combustion engine engine car? You know, we've got these things coming 2030 and stuff. And he said, well, he said, not everyone's going to make it at the same time. He said, we're going to make fewer of them, mm. much fewer, way fewer. And, you know, we expect Europe to be 70% EV very quickly. He said, but South America... EVs are not right yet, especially when they've got you know near carbon neutral as it is, running biofuels. Yeah, and they don't have the infrastructure to be able to change to EVs. So he said it's not going to be as quickly as you think. It was a really interesting global point. It's it's almost like the, the you know like the London we get a lot of London centric thinking, don't we? When it talks about mobility yeah. and stuff, and it's that sort of thinking, but looking at but progress to global going well we've got it here so why don't you have it in these far-flung middle of nowheres very european and he said he was even saying you know you know it's, it's easier to cross the us and it than by ev at the minute than it is to to cover the whole of europe from east to west he said because there just isn't the infrastructure everywhere and we can't until there's the infrastructure people won't buy the cars there's an interesting point where he said, you know, it, after a while, EEV purchases. I'm not try, I'm not actually giving away the entire podcast. It's so interesting hearing it straight from him because his wording's much better than mine. He's saying, you know, there will be a point where, you know, people buy EVs, buy stick or carrot, probably a combination of both, and then their neighbours will buy EVs because they've seen that they don't have the problems that the you know, that the people who bought them first didn't have the problems that they do. And mm. then so after a while, people will want to buy them because actually they work and they're cheaper and they're easier to, to run. So that those kind of things were good. Mm. There were a couple of questions about Dieselgate and the word atonement came up. Are oh, EVs as a result of the, uh, are you atoning for Dieselgate? And he said, well, I think that's a bit much. I think it was coming anyway, but it definitely accelerated our plans. And the other thing he was saying was, they were trying to say, well, you know, you're going to need fewer people, you're going to need smaller factories, you're going to need fewer factories to make EVs. And he said, well, not really. He said, the difference there is not that big. He said, what's much harder is the shift to car as car as a um, consumer electronics device as opposed to a mechanical investment. 
which is what it is at the minute, like a house or any of these things. Uh, and he was saying software, the software side of it is much, much harder for car companies than EVs. <laughs> no kidding. He said that's the bit. He said the, the software side and all that connectivity, he said that's the hard bit, not the powertrain. I think some of the claims he's made in the last couple of weeks is going to come back and bite him on the software side of things as well. Quite possibly, yeah. This was from a couple of weeks ago. I think they still totally underestimate it. I think they really do underestimate how how yeah. difficult it is. That's a very quick... I've given you a really quick pricey. There's a link to it in the show notes. It's on all the platforms that you would desire, and you can stream it straight from the Economist website if you don't want any of those. It was really interesting. 29 minutes well spent, actually. Good. Good. Sorry right. about Thanks, that. Richard. Yeah, excellent one. Thank you. Right. Whilst we don't have any rallying, I, I felt we need to mention it because... <laughs> I saw this, yes. Yeah. The, the list of the week, because the World Motorsport Council basically has ruled out front-wheel drive categories within the WRC. So hmm. Dirtfish has put together... Uh, 10 best front-wheel drive rally cars. Now, before you get, when you see the list, too worried, they're only talking about the Super 1600 and the kit cars. So we're not going back into the, the mists of time to go through this. This is, this is front-wheel drive, so you can keep your Mark II escorts, lads. Yes. So, uh, but the but the Mini doesn't get a show. <laughs> so no, these, these are relatively modern cars. Alan, have you got one that stands out for you at all? I've I've got a couple. I'm having trouble choosing them. I was going to say that. I, you was going to, did, you, did you need more than a couple of hours to pick out? It took me a little while, but I think actually it's one of the best looking rally cars ever. Uh, is the Peugeot 306 Maxi a wide bodied 306? Essentially, it is. It's the it was the king of the kit car type. Mm. Just a great looking thing. I used to see them at Rockingham Stages Rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make a great noise, nice flames, all these kind of things. And they just look the business. It's like a 306 dimmer, but without the side straight straights and stuff. That'll be a lost on many of you, I'm sure. <laughs> what about you? Have you got one? Oh, there's... Uh, I, I really, really, really struggled. There's a lot of these. The- probably, and this, this is a tough one, but probably the Citroen Zara kit car. Okay, that was yeah, that was one of the ones that that I was considering. One of the three that I was considering. Just there, yeah, looks yeah. great as well. Yeah, same thing. It's essentially the Maxi again, but with a same platform. Yep, yep, yeah, really cool. So go through the list in the show notes, and uh, don't forget you can tweet us and let us know which you'd prefer. Because to be fair, virtually all of these would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take one of each, please. Yes. <laughs> Right, take us take us to the movies in the Anne Finally, please, Alan. Uh, so Anne Finally this week comes from Jalopnik, and when I tell you that it's titled The Love Bug is a way better car movie than you probably remember, you'll know that it's written by Jason Torchinsky. <laughs> Mostly because it's not about a Jeep. I read this and it gave gave me a good good chuckle, really. And it's the yeah, it's just Jason talking about why actually the love bug is is better than you think. It's not as cheesy as any later any later Herbie movies. By the way, this is the original love bug, not 
uh, not not the re- not the relatively recent remake. Mm. So this is the very original one from nineteen sixty stroke seventy, whenever nineteen sixty eight. They just point out all the great drivers' cars in there, and all the uh, and and just just how much fun it is. Uh, uh, a couple of bits about some of the more worrying parts of it, really, where if it was a if the central character was human. Uh, you'd be a little bit worried about it smashing up other cars and then attempting to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Would not really make a kids' movie, but, <laughs> but but it did. And one of the other cool things about this is that it wasn't obviously sponsored. Nobody said you must make Herbie in, into a Beetle. That they had a whole load of cars in a shortlist, but it was chosen because it was the one that kind of people in the production crew and who were writing it so went, wanted to sort of go up to and, and stroke and and it was just cuter than any of the others mm. and and that's why herbie was herbie was chosen it has got me to the stage where i i went and i i ordered the the herbie movie compendium on dvd for 10 quid just before we started <laughs> recording it's a really good story the link will be in the show notes or or you can go to to jalopnik but He's a click. It does point out that there are casual stereotyping, borderline racism, as was the way with movies of that kind of time. But try and look past that and just 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 try and enjoy it as being way 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 better than the um, you probably think it's going to be. Yeah. It's a long time since I've watched it. A long long time. Mm. Oh, uh, I went to see if it was on any of the streaming services. Uh, only if you've got Disney Plus, it seems. Okay. So if you have Disney Plus, you'll be able to stream it. Uh, it's not on Netflix, and it's not on Amazon Prime, even as a bonus bolt-on. You can get some of the others, but not the love bug okay. on Amazon. I think that's about it for the show. I think that is about it, to be honest. Parish Notes, I was on the Piston podcast last week. Yes, it was um, unfortunately very good. Uh, Dan, as I said, 15, and it's quite depressing how professionally is yes he was very good yeah but don't as, as alan pointed out last week do not play the drinking game if no to don't. listen to that it took me two days to get my eyesight back after that <laughs> I, I didn't start it i would like to point that out as well didn't stop it either uh, though. <laughs> no no i have to take the take the take the chance every now and again yes you do uh the zoom zoomers obviously from last week is out as well with uh, Mr. Alex Goy mm-hmm. as as our guest, uh, and that was absolutely... Well, I was just about in tears uh, with laughter at some points. But yeah, if you want to know thoughts on the, the Peugeot badge, for example, which looks awfully massive on the front of the new 308. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't seen that. No, yet. no, no. Okay, right. It is like, like Richard the Lionheart's shield on the front of it. Okay. It's quite massive. Cool grill massive shield is it hiding all the sensors behind it yes yeah okay yes that's one of the things nia was pointing out is the reason that it's like that is because everybody wants big flat surfaces on the front of the car where they can hide all the sensors behind it but awesome grill that's about it i think yep took about three times longer than it should have done but never mind uh, but don't everyone forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Don't forget about our Patreon offer or any of the other ways to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. Please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app 
lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you, just to check whether you knew that the Yaris had won the UK Car of the Year award, what's the best way for them to do that personally? Best way to do that is to go and jump into the sea. But if you want to get in touch with me on any other topic, uh, then it's best to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we will be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>